0: Good morning. Good morning there you go. you learned how to take a selfie if you didn't know um, so I'd just like to take this moment to take a selfie uh, actually you, you guys are going to take a selfie if you got a phone, I'm going to invite you to take out your phone right now yeah that's right we're we're going get the service trending and if you don't know what that means that's okay <laughs> you take out your phone if you have a phone if and it's okay if you don't but Grab some people around you, and uh, and then go ahead and take your selfie. I'm going to go with the duck face personally. There we go. That's good. That's good. So now you can post it, you know, Pashtag SunWest Church, Fish Creek Campus. My pastor's awesome. Any of those things? (laughs) Um, So, this morning we are, the sermon is called Selfie, and I'll unpack in a second what that means. We're starting a new series called Following Jesus Online. It's been a series that I've been thinking about doing for quite some time uh, because we live in this changing world, and it's changing rapidly. And our life is, is encompassed with online activity to varying degrees. Um, and even if you don't feel like you're online that much, all of our lives are incredibly impacted by technology in general. And my hope is not to even discover, you know, what does it mean to live with a person of integrity and to follow Jesus online? You know, Jesus had a Facebook account, how would he manage it? What type of pictures would he post on Instagram? And, you know, like those are, those are good questions and we'll ask those questions, but I'm equally or even more concerned with what, what does our interaction with technology reveal about ourselves? What does it reveal about what we think about God? What does it reveal about how we understand community, even church? And so, you know, we're going to kind of bring these worlds together and reflect on, yeah, you know, on technology and, uh, and this morning specifically on ourselves, how we understand ourselves, which is why we're calling it selfie. As I mentioned, technology is changing. You know, when I was uh, when I was younger, I can still remember. You know, the young people in the front. You're, you're going to think I'm, I'm really old, but I can remember a day when internet didn't exist. Actually, uh, put up your hands if you you know you were you were live before the interweb, right? I can remember when, uh, you know, in high school, early high school, when the internet actually. Became usable at the school, and it was—it it blew my mind. Before that point, computers were just like glorified typewriters. You know, it's all you did on them was you typed things, um, and then all of a sudden, you could do so much more with them. You know, technology is changing. I remember dial-up phones. You know, the—you know, it'd be like four, oh, you know, and it, and you'd have to wait 30 seconds to get the phone number, and and. And Lord help you if you got a digit wrong. That was the most frustrating thing. <laughs> you know, I, I can remember getting, like, trying the phone number like three or four times. And, you know, that's five minutes of your day right there just to get a phone number right. You know, dial phones to cell phones. You know, I remember when we used to listen to music on record players. And then, and then it went to cassette players. And I remember when cassettes came and I had, you know, the Walkman and the cassettes. And I, and I, I loved... I, I, but that was before me, so I, I you know, the A track I understand, Kevin and Deborah, that your time was prior to mine, um, and before, before that, there was live music, so, uh, uh, so anyways, but I remember record players. I remember when the cassettes came, and, and even when the cassettes came, I was like, you know, I was, I was going to be this, like, stubborn guy because the CDs were coming, and I'm like, I'm not buying CDs. Like, those things are way more money. It's like half the price for cassettes, and I'm just going to, like, stay strong and just buy cassettes, you know? And so I just had loads and loads of cassettes. And you couldn't just skip to the next song. I remember having to rewind, uh, you know, rewind Brian Adams, Everything I Do, Do It For You. It took 23 seconds to get back to the front of the song. I remember that very specifically. That's right. I I listened to that song. Lots of thinking about junior high girls and all of that good stuff. (laughs) Cassette players. And then CDs came in and... And I finally was like, okay, I'm going to fold and get CDs. And honestly, within a year of me saying I'm going to start buying CDs instead, they started coming out with MP3 players. And then I got like this mini disc player. And that lasted for about five months. And then technology changed. And then all of a sudden there was these iPod, iPods. And, and, you know, times were changing. And, uh, and now after iPods, we're back to records. So <laughs> that's the way it goes. But technology is changing, and it's changing so rapidly. It's, you know, at speeds that it's never changed before. And have we actually taken the time to reflect on how these changes impact us, how they impact our understanding of ourselves, our understanding of God, our understanding of community? These are the types of questions we're asking. And like I said, maybe you don't even feel like you're that technologically advanced. Maybe you're the type of person that types Google into Google to get the Google web page. That might be you, and that's okay. You know, maybe you're like my dad. I remember when there was MSN Messenger, and uh, I remember typing with my dad. You know, back in the day, you know, he discovered a computer and internet for the first time. And I was like, "Hey, dad, how's it going?" And uh, and then it would say, "Dad is typing" or whatever at the bottom, right? And like, "Dad is typing." Dad is typing. I was like, "Man, dad's got you know a lot to say." And I, you know, I get the message back. Says, "I'm good." <laughs> it's my dad's my dad's skills right there. So. So you might be anywhere in that spectrum, but the truth is we're, we're all being impacted by, <clears throat> by this ever-changing world. So what does online, what does our online life tell us about us individually, corporately? What does it actually mean to be a follower of Jesus in this changing world, to be a follower of Jesus now, not only in reality world, but in virtual world as well? And so the selfie phenomenon, you know, I remember when it first came in, I was just like, what, what a weird thing. And, you know, sure enough, within time, just like the CDs, I eventually started taking selfies of myself. And, like, why am I taking pictures of myself and posting them online? Weird, weird phenomenon when you think about it, but uh, many of us are doing it. So, what, what, this, what does this mean? And, and if you come away from this morning, you think, okay, I got it, I got to take less selfies. No, you missed the whole point of the message. Let me just say that from the get go. This is not about taking less selfies. This is. What is this revealing about us in our culture? We document our days, our food, our activities, our outfits, our animals, our vacations. You know, if you went for a run and you didn't take a selfie, did the run actually happen? I, I don't know. You know, I have a, I think I got a couple of pictures here that we'll, we'll throw on the screen. Uh, you know, sometimes I think about our online world like that, if you can see that. It's a fascinating picture. A guy looking through the Facebook telescope to, um, outside while the door is open. And uh, how about the next one? You know, we used to play with kites, but now we play with selfie sticks. <laughs> and I think there's one more there. Take a second to observe that one. And some often I feel like this is a good picture of the selfie phenomenon. That we have our real selves and then we project or pretend, and not even pretend, but even just filter out the realness that we don't want people to see and give away the things that we think will make us look more acceptable. But the these are interesting windows into the human condition. And I, I want to just invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 3 for a second. And I love going back to the beginning of the story in Genesis, the beginning of humanity, the beginning of creation, because there's so much wisdom, and it tells us, even though it's, it's, this account is thousands and thousands of years old, it's, it tells us so much about today. It gives us a... It gives us a, a sense of where we are because we know kind of where our story began. And in Genesis 3, I just want to read this couple of verses here, starting in verse 6. It says, The woman was convinced. You know, the serpent came to them to eat the fruit. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame. Can everybody say shame? Shame. Their eyes were opened. They suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. They felt shame at their nakedness, so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves Let me break this down for you. This was the first selfie ever taken. This was the first selfie ever taken, that Adam and Eve did something that afterwards they regretted or they felt like they needed to hide. And so they decided to cover themselves to project something other than what they fully were. It was a move of projection. Adam and Eve are not disclosing them for their full selves, but they're choosing what they will reveal and what they will hide, and God sees right through it. If you know the story, God sees right through it. He sees right through our coverings even today, our projections today, our selfies today. Whatever we think that we can fool the world with, we can't fool God with. You know, in fact, uh, we, we won't dive into it just in the interest of time, but if you look in, the, there's a story in First Samuel verse uh, chapter 16 where the prophet, uh, where, where Samuel is coming to anoint the next king after Saul. And he's told, well, one of Jesse's sons is going to be the next king. And so he kind of goes through all seven of Jesse's sons, seven out of the eight. You know, and they they're all different. They come in and, you know, some are handsome and, you know, I'm sure some are musical and some, you know, it doesn't say that. But, you know, you can imagine that they all appeared to be different. And, you know, Samuel looks at some of them and says, surely this this must be the one that the God has in mind. This must be him. And God says this fascinating thing to Samuel. He says that that people like you look at the appearance, the projections of others. And you define them based on what you see, on what they project. But God actually sees through the projection He looks at the heart. What a word for today that God sees through what we project, what we choose to post and don't, and he sees all of us and he sees right to our hearts. That can be a very scary, uncomfortable feeling when you actually think about it. Um, But maybe it's a very freeing, liberating thing if we follow that thought process through, which we will in a second. Have you ever heard the phrase "finding I'm going to find myself?" And I've got to figure out who I am. Anybody hear your conversation like that, put up your hand. If you've ever heard anybody say that, "I'm going to find myself, I've got to figure out who I am, I just got to you know I've got I to leave town, I've got to move away, I've got to go do something and I've got to find my identity. You know this. You know, maybe the anthem of that idea was, you know, Madonna's Express Yourself. Um, sorry, you probably don't know who Madonna is. But for those of you who do, <laughs> she kind of kicked that off. Express Yourself. Find Yourself. And, and the idea of that is that we need to... There's nothing outside of us that can tell us who we are. And so we actually got to figure it out. We got to find our own identity and I don't want to go too far down this rabbit trail because we could spend a lot of time on it, but I do think it's valuable to think where, about where that thought process came from. You see, it was believed for the majority of history, in terms of philosophical thought, theological thought, that, that uh, you know, man made up of body and soul, and that soul, that what was best for our soul... Um, our body desired the opposite. So our, our body desired things that actually wasn't healthy for us. So you couldn't trust desire. You couldn't trust your feelings. There was something outside of ourselves that should govern how we acted, how we lived. And there was this idea of virtue in philosophy that was developed. So the idea of virtue is that there's these things, there's, you know, Christian virtues like love, hope, and faith, and other virtues that philosophers talked about, you know, courage and justice and these things. We, we, we'd, we talked about virtue, and the idea was that our, we needed to pursue virtues because our human nature was actually, our, our natural desire was opposed to these virtues. And so the virtues collectively helped us have a sense of who we are, a sense of what was good, a sense of function. But there was actually a switch in thinking, because if you can follow my thought process, um... The body and the soul, the soul was this ambiguous, mysterious thing that people couldn't comprehend and understand. What is the soul? And so instead of focusing on the thing that we can't understand, the, the, the thought process started to focus on the things that we can, the physical world, the, nat- the nature of ourselves, the nature, you know, what, what we could see and what we could prove. And, and so soul was replaced with self. So instead of thinking, you know, about my soul, people started to think about myself. Not about the thing I can't prove, but the thing that's here in the concrete material world. And let's focus on each individual and each self because that's something tangible that we can work with. And so as the soul was replaced by self, values replaced virtue. Because now we don't find a sense of identity out there You know, whether that's religious or in our society. You know, our sense of identity and worth actually comes from within. And the more that we go within, the better it's going to be for us and the better it's going to be for our world. And so we developed this idea of values. So instead of virtue, let's discover values. You know, what are your values? What's that country's values? What's your personal values? And live out your values because those values were who you were. And so thought became to be a... You know, f- theological and philosophical thought became to uh, grew to this obsession with self. that fulfillment of who uh, finding our identity and our own fulfillment came from discovering ourselves. But I would ask, does that actually work? In fact, over time, philosophers actually realized that self and soul was the same thing, that our selves are just as mysterious as the soul was. And that as we tried to identify the self, we couldn't even figure out what that was. And so we're back at this place of needing something outside of ourselves to help identify us, something outside of ourselves to shape us, You know, we look around the world, and and people are starting to say, man, it would be good if we had some virtues, something outside of individuals and countries and religious groups that people collectively adhere to that would give a sense of purpose and functionality and peace. So now people are talking about virtues again, because they realize that this inward journey doesn't actually solve anything. And it's fascinating when we look at what Jesus says. You know, it's it's funny. You, you know, we take all the thousands of years to develop these thoughts, and then you go back and like, hey, Jesus told us that like a long time ago, didn't he? Um, and you can turn to you can turn to Mark eight. It's not going to be on the screen, so I'm just, I'll just invite you to to turn there, or to keep with the technology theme, you can flip there on your phone. Mark chapter eight. And Jesus, and this conversation is recorded in various ways in Luke 9 and Matthew 16 and Mark 8. It's in three of the four Gospels. And, uh, and so I want to I start by looking at verse 36. It says, And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? That word soul, souke, in the Greek, because this is the language that was originally written in, can be translated, some of your Bibles might have a note there, can be translated as self or soul. What is the it in the whole world if you lose your soul, if you lose yourself? Is anything worth more than yourself or your soul? And before that, verse 35, Jesus is saying, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. If you try and hang on to your life, if you try and do it on your own, you're actually going to lose your very soul, your very self. But if you can get rid of it for my sake, or as Mark's translation, or Mark's version of it says for the good news, you will actually find, you will actually save yourself. You'll find it. So when you're going to find yourself, don't go into yourself. You actually have to go outside of yourself to see to realize who Jesus is. When we realize who Jesus is, we actually get an understanding of who we are. So we've, maybe you've been around church a while, you've heard this passage talked about, you've heard it preached about. I'm very interested in the context of this, these words of Jesus this morning. If, and let's take a look at that. If you start at verse 31, or start even before that, verse 27, the, the conversation is about Jesus' identity. And Jesus says to his disciples, who do people say that I am? You know, who are people identifying me as? And they respond, they say, well, some say you're Elijah, some say you're John the Baptist, some say, you know, you're Jeremiah, some say you're one of the other prophets. These are how people are identifying you. Jesus asks a second identifying question. He says, well, who do you say that I am? You know, Peter, the one that speaks up most times, says, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. It says, Peter, you're right. And it's on that rock, that that statement, my identity, that I'm going to actually build my people, my church. But it says, after this was revealed, it says, then Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things, and what was going to happen to him. And then it says that Peter took Jesus and reprimanded him, which can be translated, corrected him. Can you imagine correcting Jesus? (laughs) Jesus says, I am the Messiah. That's my identity. Now the Son of Man is going to go suffer many things. And Jesus takes him aside and says, Jesus, just so you know, that's not who you are if you're the Messiah, you don't suffer. The the Messiah is the coming king. The king doesn't suffer. And so I need to correct you and your understanding of yourself and tell you who you actually are. And Jesus says, thanks for trying. Um, And it says, Jesus turned around, and looked at his disciples and then corrected Peter, reprimanded Peter. I just find this, this fascinating conversation about Jesus' identity, that people say this is Jesus, but he had this confidence, I'm not Elijah, I'm not Jeremiah, I'm not another prophet, I'm, I'm something different. Peter says, yeah, you know, you're the Messiah. You're right, I am the Messiah. But you're only halfway right, because your idea of what the Messiah is isn't actually who I am. I'm going to suffer. And Jesus' whole concept about who he was, what he came here to do, was only only came from God the Father, not from the world around him. Not from people far away that had opinions on him, not from those even closest to him, his best friends. They didn't dictate what Jesus' identity was or his sense of self was. His sense of self came from somewhere else. And that conversation precedes this one. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for the sake of the good news for my sake you will save it and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul this world the the greek word there is cosmos is where we get the word cosmos from cosmos and this is and, and it does mean what we think it means like the world the material world the physical world you know all the toys and bells and whistles what does it what does it mean if you gain all that lose yourself it does mean that But if the primary definition, which I found fascinating this week, is this word means that which serves to beautify through decoration. That which we adorn ourselves with. That which we clothe ourselves with. What good does it do you or me To adorn ourselves, to decorate ourselves, project a certain version of ourselves, but yet lose ourselves. Interesting. What good does it do you to pretend to be somebody that you aren't? And yeah, people are going to like your picture, they might be your friend, but if it's all based on a projection or a certain version of yourself... Aren't you always going to have this thought that I'm not really accepted? If they really knew who I was, would they still love me? Would they still accept me? And then Jesus tells Peter, you are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's point of view. We have this tendency to view ourselves and view others just like Samuel did in the story of David, from a human point of view, not from God's point of view, where God actually looks at the heart. We started by looking at Genesis chapter 3. And I want to go back there for a second. Genesis chapter 3, the first selfie ever taken... There's this part of the story that I has just always drawn me in. There's you know, verse 7 at that moment their eyes were open and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. They projected something. And then there's this dialogue between God and between Adam and Eve and you know, the consequences of their decision. And then you get to verse twenty. It says, "Then the man Adam named his wife Eve because she would be the mother of all who live." Twenty-one. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. Man, Adam and Eve screw up. They feel shame. They gotta project something. They gotta clothe themselves. And then it says in verse twenty-one that God made clothes for them. That. God didn't respond to their mistake, their shame, their nakedness by just condemning them, by just purely punishment. He actually made clothes for them, specifically for them. What does that even mean? Nor did God say, hey, just, you're actually, your nakedness is fine. Just run around naked. It's all good. That wasn't his response either. He made clothes for them. What, what, what is the significance of this? And it's interesting. If you go to Romans 13, verse 14, it says, Clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians 3, 27 says this, For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus, and all who have been un- united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. In the very beginning of the story, in the very first selfie, in the very need for humanity to project something to filter something about themselves, we have God, the creator, coming down and making clothes for his people. And I don't think it's just coincidence or some insignificant detail in the creation story. I think it is a string of thought that ties us all the way through the biblical story and all the way to today, that God is actually the one that clothes us. That God is the one that looks at you and I in our nakedness, in our shame, in our sin, in our struggle, and he doesn't run away from us. What if I took a projector this morning and I plugged it right into your heart, right into your head? Um, You know, figuratively, like you would die if I did that, but say you didn't die and I could actually... I could project what you think, what you feel, what's going on in your heart. I, could, I, I would throw up on the screen everything you said this week, everything you did. I would show everything you did, all the activity that was online that you did. If I did that right now, how many of you guys would leave you would leave the room. Anybody leave the room? I would. That, that sense of shame. That sense of nakedness. You know, probably, you'd probably lose some friends. A lot of friends. Might lose your job if your boss saw it. But here's the thing. Here's the gospel story. You know, when, when Jesus says, if you lose yourself for my sake, you'll find it. That God sees all of that. Everything you thought. Everything you did. All your warts. Not just the stuff you wanted to project, but everything you didn't. Not just the moments that you thought were selfie-worthy, but everything that wasn't selfie-worthy. And you're running out, and he's actually chasing you down. You're trying hard to cover up, and he's saying, don't, Cover yourself up. Let me cover you up. Don't form your own identity. Let me form your identity. And when the Bible says that we're clothed with Christ, and Paul uses this phrase over and over again, he says we're in Christ, we're in Christ, we're in Christ, we're in Christ. Well, What does that mean? It means that the creator of the world in flesh, Jesus, Jesus is God with flesh on, sees us in our nakedness, sees us in our shame, sees us in all of our stuff, and he doesn't run. He extends grace. He extends forgiveness. He extends love. And what happens is when we accept that, when we receive that, when we allow that to clothe us, all of a sudden, the chains of having to project ourselves and make our own clothes Fall away. Now, again, if you think the point I'm making is, oh, i got to take less selfies of myself, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, what I'm trying to get at is, what's the heart behind why we do that? Why do we project certain things about ourselves? And it's not even just selfies, it's the clothes. Like, I wore my Toronto Raptors shirt this morning. I don't know if you noticed, but they're, they're playing a big game today. I'm projecting to you, I'm a Raptors, I'm a Toronto Raptors fan, okay? Um, If they win today. If they don't, then I'm done. I can't. (laughs) 20 years is a long time to never win a seven game playoff series. But what? We can project things about ourselves by what we wear, by how we act. But what, what is, where is that all coming from? Is it coming from a need to impress, a need to be accepted? Because if it's, if that's the motivation behind it, what is it worth? to gain the whole world, to adorn yourself in that way, but lose your very sense of self. Because it's not really you anyways. But instead, we as humans were created only to find our identity identity through God, our Creator. And when we come before Him in our nakedness and our shame, we say, Jesus, clothe me with your righteousness. Because Jesus led, led the perfect life. And he didn't condemn us for it. He actually extends it to us and says, let my righteousness, let my perfection cover you. Let it clothe you. You don't have to do it anymore. And when we don't have to do it anymore, then all of a sudden we don't have to impress anybody because me and God are good. And if me and God are good, what does man have against us if God is for us? It changes Everything. And even when we're followers of Jesus, we forget this. We, we forget it. I want to invite you to stand. And the worship team is, uh, is going to come on stage. Someone in first service gave me this quote. He said, um, I'm not going to try and say who the quote's from in case I misquote it, but the idea was, uh, he's no fool to give up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He's no fool to give up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Maybe if there's some of you this morning... You've been following Jesus for a while, and but yet for whatever reason, you feel this need to filter yourself. You feel this need to adorn yourself in a certain way to gain acceptance. And again, it's this is more than selfies. This is hum, this is human life. This is what we do when we're not okay. Um, and maybe this morning, it's just coming naked, figuratively speaking, uh, naked before God and realizing that he's right there with you and he's not running and you don't need to run and that he's okay with who you are and just allow him to clothe you. In some ways, we take off the clothes that we, that we like Adam and Eve put on and we take it off, become naked before him and say, God, clothe me. Let my identity actually be formed by you. Put Jesus around me. Put your love, your grace, your forgiveness around me. I I, I receive it. I'm not, I don't want to run from you, hide from you. This is me. This is me. Clothe me. And maybe you've never done that before. The Bible says that God's grace is sufficient for you. Whatever you're looking for in this world, whatever you're looking for from others, whatever... you're trying to attain and get the Bible says God's grace is actually enough it's enough and I just want to invite you to close your eyes Here's we we pray to close and the, the band leads us and even if you've been following Jesus for a while or you haven't um, sometimes it's helpful just to, to, to take a moment to say Jesus this is, this is me naked before you and I thank you that you're not running from me and I receive your love and your grace and I'm going to let that clothe me. I'm going to let that be my identity, my sense of self-worth. If, you, if you're in that place this morning, I just want to invite you to raise a hand and say, you know, that's me. I want my identity to come from Jesus and Jesus alone, not from what I project. Just put up a hand. As we're, our eyes are closed, I want to pray for you in a minute here. Thank you. Just between you and God. But God, I want to I want you to clothe me. Father, we we thank you that when we screw up, you know, even when we're trying to hide, when we're trying to filter ourselves, project certain things about ourselves, you're not fooled. Lord, you see right through it. You see right through our selfies, our our projections. And initially that feels scary, but then we realize that you haven't ran away. In fact, you intentionally came down and you made clothes for us. And really what that means is that you sent Jesus to earth for us. He took our sin upon himself. He took all of the stuff that sends us into hiding, and he nailed it to himself on the cross so it doesn't need to govern the way we live anymore. So we accept that forgiveness, Father. We we say thank you for saving us from ourselves. Thank you for giving us an identity as your sons and your daughters. Thank you that your grace, your forgiveness, your love is sufficient and it's enough. And forgive us for all the times we act like it's not enough Lord, for those here this morning who have, have never had that sense of acceptance and forgiveness before, I just pray right now that you would overwhelm them with your peace, that you would overwhelm them with their, your love, that you would wrap yourself around them right now in, in the name of Jesus. And we hear your words and just saying, welcome home. This is actually who you are. And as we discover more about you, Father, we actually discover our true selves. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you were someone this morning who you know decided for the first time that you know you want to walk in relationship with God, your creator, to have your identity come from Him and not from anything else, I would invite you to take a first steps pack on your way out. It just kind of outlines you know, how to grow and how to move forward from this point on. Um, I'd love to chat with you as well, so please feel free to come and chat with me. Um, And one of the things that I, you know, again, the point of it all, as I mentioned, um, you know, maybe you do need to take left selfies. That that, that could very well be the case. Some of you definitely do, I'll tell you. I follow you. Um, In fact, I, I, I... Just a quick side note. Chris King was a pastor for a couple of years. Some of you won't know, but he was the selfie. Like, he took selfies all the time. I got a notice from Instagram yesterday that said, Chris posted the selfie, or posted a picture for the first time in a long time. The Instagram message said. I was like, really? Uh, Because I thought he was someone that needed to take less selfies. Anyways, that could be, that could very well be um, a takeaway. Uh, But I think the more important thing is... Starting to ask the hard questions of, you know, why do I, why am I doing this? You know, exploring the question of why and the motives behind, you know, what we, anything, what we say to people. You know, why did I say that? Why did I feel the need to puff up myself? Or why didn't I say something? You know, why am I, why was I hurt when someone said that about me or they didn't notice this? Why am I spending so much time doing this? Why did I post that? And not that we're going to put chains on ourselves and live in this, you know, just analytical, self-analyzing ourselves constantly, but what it reveals to us is something in our hearts. And sometimes when we become aware of it, it gives us the opportunity to let God speak to it. Yeah, I, am. I posted that thing because, you know, I want to be accepted. I was hurt by what people said because it actually spoke to my heart and it hurt my heart. Well maybe there's something there that I'm not actually letting God inform. Maybe I'm not actually living from that place of identity and relationship and I'm I'm living out of what I think other people think of me. God, is that okay? You know, God, speak to that. Tell me who I am. Tell me how you see me. Like these are so the practical takeaways could be anything for you. You know, I had you know an older guy. I won't mention him. My first service came up to me. He's like, "I'm not much into the technology," you know, but for him, it it spoke to him in a bunch of other areas of his life. And so it might be something else. But, but why? Why do we do what we do? And if we can actually look at our motives, are we living out of a place of identity that's been given to us by God through Christ, or are we living out of a place of identity? they we're either looking inward or outward for something that's never actually going to deliver on its promise. So let me pray for you. And then we'll see you next week. Um, we'll, we're going to continue this series and we're going to look at conflict and how technology actually changes how we do conflict and what does it mean to follow Jesus in the midst of conflict. But Father, we, we again just thank you that you clothe us and we... Um, Lord, I pray that we would become self-aware. That we would become aware of the ways that that we try and find our sense of worth from other things other than you. Lord, we believe that out of our heart, everything else flows. And so we ask that you would transform us from the inside out. That what we do, what we say, how we act, how we live, wouldn't be just because, oh, we think it's a good idea because we're following Jesus, but it would actually be become part of, it would overflow out of a transformed life, out of a transformed heart. And so we just invite you to come, to speak your identity, speak our identity into us. You're a God, you're a Father. And we thank you. Praise in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys for coming. Again, uh, as always, there's prayer every Sunday available to my right. Uh, We have a number of people on our prayer teams. We'd love to pray with you. And uh, yeah, utilize that if you want. And we'll see you next week.